I want you to speak this morning about reclaiming arrest, and I, I have a bit of a disclaimer. I was listening to my message last night. I went back home and I listened to the message again, and I realized I was really shouting, and, uh, uh, and I sounded angry, but I want you to know that I am not angry, amen? I'm not angry because God's not angry, amen? I, I, God has such a love for this congregation. I don't know. I just, every time I come to church, I feel His great love for this congregation. He's not angry with you. He is, he's in love with you, amen? And uh, so I, I, I'm trying my best uh, not to get uh, too excited. Uh, you know, I'm more a preacher than I am a teacher. A teacher tells it, but a preacher yells it. Hallelujah. Amen. And sometimes I know I get enthusiastic and I, I speak very loud and people think, Pastor Young's so angry. I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm not... There I go again. I get so excited. You know, I, I, I don't know how to preach the Word of God uh, uh, softly, you know, because there's so much to, to shout about. Amen. What a great God we serve. I, I want to talk about rest today because the God we serve is a God who, who, who walks with us. Amen? He's not in a rush. All through the Bible, you know, we find God walking in the garden with Adam and then He walked with Noah and then He walked with Enoch. 300 years, that's a long time God walked with the man. And then God walked with Abraham. He walked with Isaac. He walked with Jacob. Jacob was uh, made a little a limp. He had a limp. And you know, I learned to trust people with a limb because they've wrestled with God. Amen. Uh, and all throughout the Bible, we find God walking with people. The only time He was running, the only time He ever ran was when the prodigal came back to Him and He was so excited. He was, he was exploding with joy. He couldn't contain Himself. He ran to the backslider. Hallelujah. But every time we find God, He's walking uh, with us. There was a book written by a Japanese uh, theologian, Kosoi Koyama. He wrote the three and three mile hour God because that's the normal pace of a human being. We walk about three miles an hour and, uh, and God walks at the speed of love. He walks at our speed. He's not, he's not rushing. My wife thinks that, you know, she says, you, you got to slow down. Everything you do, you do fast. You eat fast. You speak fast. You walk fast. And even you fast fast. Hallelujah. <laughs> So she says, you got to learn how to slow down. And at 62, I'm learning. I'm learning how to slow down. I'm still, you know, I'm like the Energizer Bunny and my wife, we're all working all the time. And we just need somehow to, to slow down the pace and find rest and realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not us, amen. And we realize that He is the strength. And, and so we're learning how to walk at the speed of love, amen. We're learning how to slow down the whole process I'm really struggling with this because, you know, I, I'm all my life I've been so wired up for work and so wired up for the ministry. And now I feel like I'm entering into a season that God's calling me, slow down. It's okay, you've done, uh, you, you've, you've accomplished some of the things I've called you to. Slow down and, let, and enter into my rest. Amen. Enter into my rest. So I want to look at Numbers chapter 20. I think number two, Numbers chapter 20 is one of the saddest chapters in the whole Bible. The chapter begins with the death of Miriam, uh, Moses' older, older sister, and then it ends with the death of Aaron, Moses' older brother. And so in one chapter, he loses the two people that were closest to him. After the death of Miriam, people rose up and contended against Moses and Aaron because there was no water in the wilderness. And they, in their anger and frustration, they said something they should have never said. In their anger, they said, it is so much better while we were in Egypt than here in the stinking wilderness where there is no water to drink. Why in the world have you brought us out of the land of Egypt 
to bring us into this evil place. What they were saying is, why were we, we were so much happier in Egypt. We're so much happier when we were unconverted. Now that we are Christians, look, we've got all these problems. I tell you, my friends, in the Christian life, we have to be very careful what we say, what we utter, because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And sometimes we say things in our anger. Sometimes we say things in our frustration that we cannot take back and we regret for the rest of our lives because some of these things are irreversible. Even Moses reacts very badly in this situation. His strongest attribute is meekness. He was the meekest man on the earth, but he lost his temper. He was tested on his strongest point. He lost his temper, and instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock in his anger, and uh, the rash act disqualified him from entering into the promised land. So the chapter ends with the death of Aaron, and Moses loses his best friend and his confidant. Now, Numbers 20 is arguably the worst episode in Israel's painful journey in the wilderness. Psalm 95 was written because of this episode. Psalm 95 is the divine commentary. It's God's, God's perspective on the situation in, Psalm, in Numbers 20. And David wrote Psalm 95. He said in verse 7 to 11, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with the generation and said, it is a people that go astray in their hearts. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. This is the divine commentary on Numbers chapter 20. Because they crossed the line, because they spoke rashly, God swore that they would never enter into His rest. In other words, what He said was, all right, if you don't want my salvation, then you will never enter into it. That was the divine punishment. Now, for the children of Israel, entering into the rest was the ultimate reward for their obedience. If they were going to be obedient and faithful, then the Lord says, I'll take you out of Egypt and I'll bring you into the land. That was the fulfillment of their destiny. That was the reward for their faithfulness to enter into the rest of God. Hallelujah. And not entering into the rest was the ultimate punishment. Now that simply means you are going to perish in the wilderness and you will never come to any sort of fulfillment in life. And how many Christians we know die in the wilderness never ever fulfilling the purposes for which they were created by God and never experiencing what true rest is and they wander through the whole of their earthly experience never fulfilling any purpose in life and they die without accomplishing anything of eternal value. My friends, we must make sure we enter into the rest. We must make sure we complete this race. Amen. Now, entering into the rest is a promise that's offered to every one of us here in this auditorium, but it's not a guarantee. In other words, like many of the promises of God, it is conditional. In other words, we can fail to enter into the rest, and if we fail, then what's the point, man? You missed, you, you missed the whole purpose of life. You lived a wasted life if you don't enter into the rest of God. Now, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, we have what we call the blessings and the curses chapter of the Old Testament. And verses 65 to verses 68 describes the ultimate judgment on Israel. Right? This is like, as we, we have all these series of judgment and finally we come to the culmination of the judgment and God says, now this is the culmin, this is the, the climax of the judgment. Verse 65, you shall find no rest. You shall find no rest. This absence of rest seems to be the ultimate form of punishment as far as God is concerned. It's symptomatic that we're missing something that God wants us to have very badly. 
So God says, alright, if, if you're going to be rebellious and disobedient, here's your punishment. You will have no rest. Wow. The second part of the verse says, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. What it means is no matter where you are, no matter where you go, there's no rest for you. You can go to the Maldives, you can go to Club Med. Oh, I tell you this, it doesn't matter where you go, your foot, every place that the foot of your sole of the foot rests upon, you shall have no rest. That's why sometimes people come back from the holidays more tired than before. They're stressed out all the time. And then the last part of verse 65 says, but there the Lord will give you trembling heart, failing eyes and anguish and despair, or despair of soul. These are symptoms. The outworking of the absence of rest and anyone who have been depressed, any one of you who have been stressed out, know that these three symptoms are very real. Come on. And then verse 66, your life shall hang in doubt before you and you shall fear day and night. You, have, you shall have no assurance of life. Wow. What's that called? It's called anxiety. You don't have any assurance of life in this life and in eternal life as well. Then finally, verse 68, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt. You know, that's the ultimate judgment. God says, I'll bring you back. If you don't, wanna, if you don't want my salvation, then I'm going to bring you back. If you think you were better off in Egypt, I'll bring you back there. And to put it bluntly, you forfeit the right of eternal life. You can return to your worldly lifestyle. You can return to your sinful ways. You can do whatever you want. But here's the promise. You will never enter into my rest. Am I making sense to you? This is really important. This is the goal of the Christian. It is to come into that place of rest. Now, the most common refrain, refrain I hear today from people is, when you talk to them, I am tired. Everybody I meet, Pastor, I'm, how are you doing? I'm very tired. It seems like everyone's going through a series of, a season of stress or distress and suicides, depression, mental illness, mental disorder on a dramatic rise. How did the apostles describe our day and age? Listen to this. The Apostle Paul calls our day perilous. And the word perilous has, has demonic connotations. It's, the, it's, very, it's like you're entering into very fiercely dark days. Paul, Peter warns us of widespread satanic deception. John warns us of great chaos and turmoil. Isaiah prophesied darkness, great darkness covering the earth. You know, I am, um, when it comes to the church, I'm very optimistic. When it comes to the world, I'm very pessimistic. I think that the world is getting darker and darker and all our attempts to try and stem the tide, even here in Singapore with all the laws, and it's, it's ultimately going to, we're going to see darkness cover the nations. And, but I tell you this, I'm, I'm optimistic because in the church, there's going to be great glory. Amen. And the contrast is going to be so stark. The church is going to be full of the glory. The world is going to get darker and darker and we must know where we stand. Amen. But here the greatest prophet of all, our Lord Jesus, He told us if the days were not shortened, no man shall be saved. Now if Jesus tells us it's going to be difficult, trust me, it's going to be difficult. Amen. So this is the flow of biblical prophecy. And I'm not going to tell you at Vision Sunday next year, hey, 2023 is going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be the best year for us yet. I don't want to spin the Word of God. I don't want to manipulate the Word of God. Because I know the darkness is ahead of us and we must be prepared to be forewarned as to be forearmed. Amen. I'm not here to pamper you. I'm here to prepare you for the trials that are coming ahead. Amen. One of the things that the enemy is really seeking to do is he wants to wear down the saints of the Most High. This is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. It says where he will speak pompous words against the Most High and persecute or wear out the saints of the Most High. Right at the end of the age, there's going to be so much pressure on humanity and people are going to feel it. It's not going to be just emotional or mental or financial, relational. It's going to be demonic. This, 
Satan is going to unleash all the powers of darkness against the church and we must be prepared for what is coming. Ten, year, ten years ago, it was almost, it, we, could, we could cope with it, you know. But now, man, it's, it's getting more difficult by the, by the day. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 and 29 is the answer to this stressful world we live in. Some of the most well-known scriptures in the New Testament, and there are two kinds of rests that are mentioned in this verse. Verse 28, Come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the first promise. If you come to me, I will give you rest. Now, this is the first rest. Has to do with salvation. All we have to do is to come to Him. And if we will come to Him, He says, I promise you, I will give you rest. We call that salvation. Amen. Then in verse 29, there's a second rest. It says here, Take my yoke upon you and learn to me, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now here the Lord is offering us another kind of rest. The first one is the gift, salvation. That's in verse 28. The second one is a learned behavior. Can you see that? Jesus says, learn of me. Learn of me. you got to learn how to come into this rest. Now this is the one I want to talk about today. A learned behavior, which is a supernatural rest. What I need to do is to learn how to rest in God while He begins to work out all His purposes in my life. In other words, I need to learn a certain kind of behavior. Amen? So I'm learning how to approach life from the posture of rest and from the posture of trust. I'm learning. Cannot be fake, cannot be counterfeited. If God doesn't give it to you, you don't have it. I'm telling you, we all have to, to labour, the, the Bible says, labour to enter into this rest. And I have to learn to slow down. I have to learn because I'm feeling the tiredness. I told my wife yesterday after service, I said, I don't want to preach anymore, I'm so tired. She slapped me. <laughs> What's the matter with you? But I feel, I feel the tiredness at this age and I feel the words are slurring and the, you know, I don't have the same kind of vitality and I don't have the same kind of strength. And I'm saying, God, please strengthen me, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to run for the next 20 more years. And I cannot afford to be weakened at this stage in my life. But all of us have our weaknesses and limitations. We've got to recognize that. Amen. The whole of next week, I've got meeting after meeting after meeting, and then the weekend, and then we fly off to the United Kingdom, the Bible College of Wales, uh, and then it's travel and travel, travel all the way till the end of the year. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I need grace. I need your grace, amen. So I have to learn how to approach life from the posture of trust and rest, because if I don't, I tell you this, I'm going to burn out at some point in my life. How many of you have seen a duck swimming? On the outside, the duck looks very cool, very tranquil. Underneath, man, he's paddling like crazy, right? And that's the way most of us are like, you know. On the outside, I look, man, man you, look at, you look at me, you look at someone who's really cool, man. <laughs> but inside, but inside, I'm running at 100 miles per hour and I don't know how to stop. It's, though, it's as though I've got a generator within it, myself and inside of myself that refuses to shut down and I just can't control it. Gotta go for the next meeting, next meeting, next message, next message, preparing, preparing, and all these things. And, uh, and so the rest, this rest is not an external thing, it's an internal thing. I've got to learn to rest. I've got to learn to come into this rest and stop striving. 
And this rest comes when we have learned to stop striving, all the striving, all, all of the, the, the physical, emotional, mental tiredness, all of that, if we, don't care, if we don't watch it, if we don't watch the dashboard, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. Especially those of us in ministry, the pastors here, you've got to watch this, man. You've got to watch the needle on your dashboard. And I'm, sometimes I'm like impatient. And, you know, yesterday I, I, was, uh, we, I went for lunch with my wife. And I was at the gantry, and the gantry was not working. And instead of reversing, and get, I, I pressed my accelerator, I smashed the whole gantry. I, I didn't smash. She said, okay, don't exaggerate. And my car's at repair shop now. Why? Because so fast, fast, fast. I want fast. Shaba. What, what steps must we take to enter into this rest? I'm just going to give you one simple practical step. And if you will do it, I guarantee you, God is going to bring you and lead you into this rest. The first step, observe the Sabbath. Of the Ten Commandments, I think the commandment that we most often violate is commandment number four, and that's the observance of the Sabbath. This is the one commandment we keep breaking again and again and again without even thinking twice about it. Uh, without thinking about working on, on the weekend. I don't know how you observe your Sabbath, but let me just share with you how I observe mine. Saturday, 6 p.m. to Sunday, 6 p.m. Uh, is my Sabbath. The Sabbath starts in the Bible in, when the sun goes down to the next sundown, right? 24 hour. No laptop, which is the tool of my trade. No appointments, no counseling, no seeking my own pleasure. In other words, no striving on the Sabbath. My friends, we've got to come to this place. I want to encourage you. I know that some of you work, my wife reminded me, some of you work on shifts on Sunday, and I understand it. But find one day where you shut down. I asked Heidi Baker, how do you, how do you, uh, uh, you know, observe the Sabbath? She said, I give two hours to my husband and the rest of the time is my, belongs to the Lord. Wow. I said that to my wife, I'm only going to give you two more hours on the weekends from now onwards. <laughs> she said, yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a departmental store in Singapore many years ago. Some of you remember those days. They closed on Sunday, remember? And in those days, everybody went to that department store. It was the coolest, it was the, the trendiest, and it was doing so well. It was being blessed, 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 until they said, we're going to open on Sunday because that's where the crowd is. I tell you this, my friends. If you give God one day a week, He will bless the next six days, far more than you can imagine. It's like the tithe. Some people don't want to tithe. Stupid thing. Because when you give the first 10% to God, He blesses the 90%. And the 90% blessed goes far more longer than the 100% He has not blessed. It's the same principle. You give God one day, He blesses the next six days, and the next six days you're so blessed and prosperous, you don't need to work on Sunday anymore. Amen? That's the principle, giving God the first fruits. Listen, first is first. And if God is not first, it's not right. Something about being first is so important. Some of you have businesses. How many of you have that first dollar that you first got? And you frame it. You've been to shops. Have you seen shops that have the first dollar they frame up? After that, they have many dollars, but all those dollars are not important. The first one is the most important. That's why they frame it. Something about the first principles with God is so important. The first dollar, the first fruits, amen. The first kiss. <laughs> okay, we'll go there. 
It's always special. The first date, woohoo! Yes. Can't remember which one I had. <laughs> and then in America, there's an there's a outlet called Chick-fil-A. Have you heard Chick-fil-A? If you ever go to America, you've got to go to Chick-fil-A. Don't waste your time at McDonald's. <clears throat> and Chick-fil-A, is, uh, it's got the best uh, chicken sandwiches. And, uh, and uh, you know, per, per store in America, they're the most profitable in all of America. And they close on Sunday. They close on Sunday. And God has prospered them and blessed them. The whole chain is run on Christian principle. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen. Observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. I think every family in Cornerstone ought to have a Shabbat meal as part of the solid part of the family rhythm. Every family should think about that once a week. Just the family coming together, sharing life with one another. Here's a good maxim. Give God the first hour of the day. Give God the first day of the week. Give God the first tithe of the month. And give God the first consideration in every decision you make. And it will be well with you. I'd mentioned that Psalm 95 was the Old Testament commentary on the Numbers 20, but the New Testament commentary on the same episode is Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And I just want to read a few verses here in Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of the Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 in Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, exhorts, one us, exhorts us to, to, uh, to encourage one another daily. Everybody say daily. I'm telling you, that's the key, right? It's, it's, while it's still called today, let's, let's encourage, let's exhort one another daily. Amen. The principle of process says that you develop daily, not in a day. And this is important because there are many people who think that I can go to a conference, I can read a book, and bam, I'm going to be a leader one day. doesn't happen that way, man. doesn't happen that way, okay? It's a fallacy. And uh, we, we often overestimate the event and underestimate the process, which is a daily process, right? Then the writer of the Hebrews gives us two reasons why people fail to enter into the rest. Number one, unbelief. Number two, sin. And these two things keep us from entering into the rest. And then he says in verse 7, chapter 3, So today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart in the, as in the rebellion. Two words I want to pick up, the word today. Uh, I want to zero in for a few moments. If you hear today, then today respond. If you hear today, then today stays off because the, the, the key for tomorrow is today. Amen. That's why all through the book of Hebrews, you find the word today, today, today. Why? Because that's the key for tomorrow. The two most important days in your life is today and the day of judgment. There are seven days in a week. Someday is not one of those. If today you hear Today, respond. Amen. Then the second thing we are warned is we are warned not to harden our hearts. The children of Israel kept on resisting the Lord in the wilderness. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. And what was the cause of that? They had a stiffness, man. The people were stiffening. So how do you deal with stiffness? How do you deal with the hardened heart? Because that's the source of all unbelief. Remember the two things that keep you out. Unbelief and sin. How do you deal with the unbelief? I'll show you this key and then we're going to pray. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskins of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. What God is saying, an uncircumcised heart is directly linked to the personality of stubbornness and stiff-neckedness. In other words, the reason you are stiff-necked 
And the reason your heart is hardened is because you've got uncircumcised hearts. So the Lord says, I want you to allow me to circumcise your heart so that you will no longer act this way toward me. I want you to be tender. I want you to have a heart so delicate so that when I touch you, you will change. You will turn your direction. I want God to deal with my life ruthlessly. Hallelujah. Amen. I want God to tenderize my heart. The Hebrew word for tender is rock and it means soft. And here is a picture of a person who's intent in going one direction. But the moment the Lord touches the person, immediately they bend, they turn, they change. Why? Because their hearts are tenderized. Guard your hearts, my friends. For out of the heart flows all the issues of life. Allow the Holy Spirit to do something in your hearts. My friends, you, your heart is like a garden. You know, in my house there is a, is a garden. And I get the garden to come every once in three weeks, four weeks to cut the grass and to tend the garden. Because if I don't, I tell you in two months, the whole thing, all the, the grass is overgrown, the plants are overgrown and the debris and all kinds of things. You've got to watch the heart, your heart, my friends. If you neglect it, you will come into decay and, and all kinds of problems. Amen. And finally, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us be diligent to enter into the rest. King James Bible says, let us labor, labor to enter into the rest. I want you just to stand up for a few moments. We're going to close in prayer. My friends, if you don't enter into God's rest, there is no rest. There is no rest. You will ultimately perish. You will traverse the whole of your earthly experience without ever finding God's rest or fulfillment. And I, I want to just close with this one final aspect of rest. It has to do with belonging. If you can say, this is my church, this is my home church, and I'm plugged in with a community of people, I'm in the cell groups, I'm in a, I'm in a community of people that loves and cares for me, I believe that that is an important part of coming into our rest as well. There's a lot of people out there who jump from one place to another, never finding rest for their souls, never finding a community of people that they can belong to. We need the fellowship of the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And we need to come to church. I'm speaking to those of you who are watching online. It's okay if you can't make it to church for some reason or another. But if you're watching me online and you didn't come to church because you couldn't wake up, that's a shame. That's a shame. Lee Grady told me a story one time of a Nigerian brother signed up for a conference in Uganda. He caught a bus that took him to another town and caught another bus that took him in another town and they caught another bus that took him in another town and the journey to Uganda was four days to attend a conference and the speaker was some big shot American preacher who decided to cancel last moment the conference. I don't care about these big shot preachers, I tell you this, but I care about the poor preacher, the brother who had to travel four days to come to a meeting. And we won't so much as cross the road on a Sunday morning to come to the house of God. I tell you this, if you're watching online right now in your pyjamas and eating your breakfast on the couch and you say, I've done my duty and been to church, don't you be deceived, my friends. Don't you be deceived. You're slowly being sucked into a system. I'm telling you this, you must find your, your, your stronghold in the company of God's people, this is one of the great strongholds, the gathering together of the saints, hallelujah. 
Now if you can't come back to church I un- You can't come to church for some reason I understand But if you are staying away from the house of God Intentionally and deliberately Something wrong with you Something wrong You need to examine your heart It's not right It's not right Pastor Nikki was telling me one time He said Pastor Young There's a mega church in America When it rains 60% of the church don't attend Services When it rains How are we going to survive the persecution? How are we going to survive the days that are coming If we can't even get up out of our beds And come to church? Lord Grow your church Lord Please I pray thee Don't keep us in infancy, Lord. Don't give us all these little excuses, lame excuses why we cannot come to the house of God. Lord, I pray stir us up, oh God. Lord, you're not angry with Cornerstone. You love this church. I thank you that that this church has been a wonderful church of of people, a community of people that that have sought to glorify your name. You're not angry with us, but you want to exhort us to press on. Hallelujah. So I pray in Jesus' name, oh God, that you will do something here in Cornerstone. That I pray, Father, that everyone in this church will enter into the rest of God. We will enter into the rest. I will learn to enter into this rest, Lord where I will stop striving, Lord, where I will stop trying to open doors that are not intended for to be, to be opened to me, where I will stop trying to, to, to fraternize with famous preachers, Lord. Lord, remove that desire from my heart, please, Lord. I pray, remove every spirit of entitlement in my heart, Lord God. Remove every desire to want to be famous, oh God. Remove every desire to want to have my name on the marquee, Lord. To have my name on the... Lord, in Jesus' name. I remember a story many, several years ago, one of my pastors very uh, kind, kindly said to me, Pastor Young, I feel we should start a, a, a Bible school in Cornerstone. And it should have your name on it. So I said, what do you mean? She said, it should be called the Young Tuck Yun Bible's College. Seriously, she was totally serious. I, she said, pray about this, Pastor. So I prayed about this. I had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord said to me, don't you ever call at any Bible school after your name. Hallelujah. It's true, true story. So clearly, He said to me, don't you ever call anything after your name. In Cornerstone, we want Jesus to be known. Amen. Amen. Oh, my friends. I'm so tired of all this, this, the games we play. All the egos and the logos, our friends said, you know, has to be put down. Amen. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Father, I humble myself before you, before this congregation. Lord, I, I want to enter into this rest, Lord. I want to be able to stand here on the pulpit week after week to minister without any stre- stress, a striving, Lord. I want there to be a flow of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I want the people to be blessed, Lord, because it's the anointing that's doing the work. Lord, I pray, teach me how to find and minister from the posture of rest itself. Hallelujah. From the posture of trust. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, bring us into this rest, Lord. Though we don't want to strive any longer, Lord. We don't want to strive. We don't want to try with our willpower and we're human strength to try and make things happen. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. Amen.
just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.